It's here. Maggie Parker, second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Yes, I'm there. Okay. Uh, thank you. Cece? Hey, Simpson's here. Thank you. Charles, I see you joined. Is that a yes for the electronic meeting? Yes. Charles Lyles, yes. Thank you. Uh, I don't think Hans joined us. Uh, and I don't think Brandon joined us. Uh, Jackie, is that a yes for the electronic meeting? Yes. Joe, is that a yes for Yes. Uh, John, is that a yes? Yes. 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 Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Mark Frosh. This is Mark Frosh. I vote for the motion is read. Thank you. Marty? I also vote for the motion. Yes.
He's from Momentum. He's from Momentum. He's our guest speaker coming in a moment. Okay, great. I'll make him a panelist. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks for that, sir. Uh, so, um, apart from uh, Bob Kesergius, I don't think we have any other guests today. Uh, we have in the room with us uh, Sarah's here, Scott is here, and Stephen Perro is here. Uh, public comment. Uh, any, anybody up there? Public. Uh, we did not receive any public comment. Okay. So that's a no, and we don't have any public here uh, with us in the room. So uh, I have no public comments today. With that, uh, we'll move on to the uh, county-wide and district-specific initiatives that uh, we have here with us. Uh, so, uh, having said that, uh, so this is part of something that uh, the previous chair, uh, chairman, uh, ex-chairman, uh, former, former chairman, uh, Rushi Shah has worked on uh, uh, clean energy initiatives uh, vehicles for our county in the past, and uh, Momentum Dynamics have been uh, a player in that space. Uh, so let me uh, turn off, turn, and this is a BMI that I discussed with uh, Supervisor Saints uh, and uh, with Jackie uh, being the uh, being Supervisor Saints uh, appointed to the board, as well as with Supervisor Turner um, and Rishi being the appointee uh, by him to the board. Uh, so with that, I will turn it over to Rishi, Asha, and then uh, on to Thanks, Ram. Uh, so uh, again, so Ram has it correct. I've been. This has been something that I've been looking to do for quite some time, uh, and I, the time is the time and the ability for the county is, is starting to align here. What I've been looking to do, uh, and the board has uh, several supervisors have expressed uh, um, support for it is the ability to let, to have a greener fleet. And I don't think you can get greener than electricity. Uh, the presenter you're going to hear from today from Momentum Dynamics has a very unique solution that allows us to operationalize our fleet while maintaining charging. So we do not have to depot our buses to uh, to get charging. So I'm not going to. Hopefully, you had a chance to read the uh, the presentation earlier this week. Uh, I did send Sarah. I did send your uh, questions over. So, uh, but uh, but the bottom line is is that these buses, if we decided to pursue them, could theoretically uh, would make our fleets greener and with a overall co life uh, cost of uh, ownership being equal to or less than a diesel bus. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to, to uh, Robert Carsigas uh, from Momentum Dynamics. He's on the line right now. And um, Robert, go ahead. Thank you for joining us. Hey, uh, good evening, everybody. Um, I, for some reason, cannot get my camera connected to this. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and also, I don't have share screen sharing rights. Uh, so I don't know if, uh, Rishi, you want to pull up the, the presentation or do you just want me to talk? I'll, I'll be happy to. Just give me a moment. Just give me one okay. moment. That's fine. I, can, um, I would have to let me make him a presenter and he should be able to pull it up himself. Okay, thank you.
Controls disappeared. The wonders of Webex. Um, yeah, I don't have a uh, share option on my screen, is the problem. I understand that, but I don't have any controls. Oh, let's see. I, there I get start video. You, so you see me. Okay, here it is. The controls moved. There you go. Okay. And at the bottom of your screen is a share. <clears throat> okay. Can you see it now? Yes. Okay, perfect. Yeah, the controls moved when you made me presenter. Um, so good evening, all. So my name is Bob Kasurgis. Um, I am the Chief Commercial Officer of Momentum Dynamics. Um, I know we only have a, a few minutes, uh, so I'll just quickly introduce the company and I'll jump right to uh, two different charts and then uh, go right into Q&A. Uh, but we provide wireless charging for all types of electric vehicles. We do it with a common technology set, uh, which is based on, I call it the Lego strategy. Uh, our basic building block is a single charging pad that goes on all types of vehicles. A small version of it, a single pad would go on a passenger vehicle and we're doing that for taxis. Um, two, multiple, I'm getting bad echo from somebody. Uh, uh, two pads would be a 150 kilowatt charger, four pads would be a 300 kilowatt charger, um, and six pads would be, uh, for example, on a large truck might be a 450 kilowatt charger. Um, we're running this operationally on transit fleet since 2017. Uh, we've been running on autonomous vehicles. We've done it on uh, basically all classes of vehicles and every vehicle you see pictured here, we, we've done it on. Uh, but in a nutshell, uh, the way wireless works is uh, we are connecting to the grid uh, through a power electronics box. And when you drive around, you see these at intersections, uh, wherever uh, lampposts or uh, streetlights are attached to the grid. There's Body, these Body, Body, boxes. Has left the meeting. And we then convert that, that that is AC power, and we convert that to a high frequency AC power. So instead of hertz, it's now kilohertz. And that high frequency is converted to a magnetic field through uh, a set of plates. There's plates on the ground, and then there's plates on the vehicle side. Uh, this is a picture of a ground side uh, right after install installation before it has been painted. Um, and this is a picture on the vehicle side. So this is a 300 kilo charger on the base of a bus. And the way they operate is uh, as they are picking up or discharging passengers, they are stopping over a parking spot. So this is right underneath the bus. And during that loading and unloading uh, operation, which might be a three, four, five minute, um, at, we do it at, at, this example is at a transit center or on a makeup stop at the end of the route, that three, four, five minutes gives you enough charge to basically keep running all day long. And one of the graphs in the deck I sent you was a operations graph uh, in, in the middle of the winter uh, out in Washington State, low freezing temperature, and the buses basically are perpetual range buses. Um, and the reason that's significant is, I'm going to jump ahead in the presentation, um, is, <clears throat> I'm gonna, is a little bit technical, but it's actually the, the, the key point here, is if you just plug in your buses overnight, that's called depot-only charging, um, this is a graph of state of charge versus time of day. 
And if you plug in overnight, you just operate, 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 operate. At some point during the day, you run out of range. They cannot achieve uh, you know, continual cycles of transit routes. Um, so what they do is you'd have to pull that bus out of service, drive it back to the garage, go plug it back in, bring another bus out to run the route, finish the route. So what happens is when people have this experience, they say, oh, I need 1.4 buses to run that route. It gets worse in the wintertime, uh, just like your phone or if you're driving an electric vehicle, you know the winter range is reduced. That's because of the of lithium-ion batteries, they are not as effective as delivering the, the energy in the wintertime operations. Uh, so in the wintertime, you get to this uh, lower line here, which is a reduced range. And so now you're in a situation where you need two full buses to go replace the capacity of one diesel bus. And what that leads you to do is, and this is actually actual route uh, information from Indianapolis, uh, they're running a route that requires about 14 buses, and this is their schedule. Um, but because of this need to take buses offline and go plug them in and replace them, they need to run six extra buses uh, to successfully meet the demands of that route. Uh, and it's because the electrics can't achieve the route. So what we do is we put chargers out on the route. So as they're doing their cycles, um, once per cycle, or in this case, it's actually twice per cycle. This is a very long route. Um, and these are 60 foot articulated buses. Uh, we are charging it at either end of a, um, uh, it's called a BRT line, bus rapid transit line. And what happens now is we operate, operate, operate. At the end of the line, we charge, run a full cycle, charge, run cycle, charge. And we're keeping the bus at a high state of charge all day long, even in winter operations. And the implication of that is as a transit operator is I could run continuous operations on that line, uh, which is here's my dispatch schedule. Um, with the same set of buses or the same number of buses that I would have done uh, if I were running a diesel fleet. And so there's a, a big capital savings. There's another advantage to this in that when you keep lithium iron batteries in a mid-level state of charge like this versus doing a, um, a deep discharge, deep full charge, deep discharge, you are actually um, keeping the battery health in better shape. And uh, the battery experts claim that the battery life under this kind of a charging scheme will be two to three times the battery life of doing about uh, running your buses this way. And it's not just buses, it's any vehicles. Um, so th this actually gives us a whole, th this technology and this uh, delivery of aut automatic uh, charging gives us a whole bunch of benefits. Um, so there are total cost of ownership benefits that are driven by the need, the one-to-one -one replacement ratio. Um, we actually can, multiplex our buses across chargers. So instead of buying one dispenser or one power electronics and a charger for every bus, we can have uh, eight to 10 buses use the same charger uh, because they're out uh, charging while they're doing work. So we get very high utilization out of our chargers. Um, this is actually a um, the picture over here on the right. The charger is actually embedded in the pavement back under the bus. Um, and this is the power electronics. Uh, and this is our first generation product. The newer ones are smaller than this, um, but these boxes can be up to 100 feet away from the actual chargers in the in the ground. So they can be back in a building or back in shrubbery, um, or you know, there's a lot of different ways uh, architecturally you could deal with that equipment. Um, this equipment is required for any uh, DC fast charging system. Uh, so if you go around, you see like the Tesla fast charger is usually hidden in a 
little fence nearby is a whole rack of these uh, um, uh, cabinets. And that's where the grid power comes in and where the charging um, is basically conditioned for the right form for the uh, vehicle. Our chargers are absolutely automatic. Um, so the, the, the operator doesn't have a start switch, a stop switch. There's no, um, there's no app, there's no registration. When a vehicle with the technology comes near a charger, uh, there's communication, there's authentic uh, encrypted communications between the charger pads and the vehicle. Uh, we identify the vehicle, and if it's an authorized vehicle, we will charge whatever um, energy demand that vehicle is asking. When the driver takes it uh, out of park and tries to drive away, it automatically disengages. Um, it is a um, all-weather system. It'll work in rain, snow, sleet. It'll work through all that stuff. Uh, it'll work through branches and debris. Um, what it won't, it will work through anything basically. Uh, the one thing we do check for is a foreign object detection in case like a soda can or a set of keys or something metal gets on it. It's like an induction cook cook stove in that case where a metal object that gets between the pads will warm up. Um, but we actually would detect that and shut off until that object is removed. Um, the other big advantage of this is um, it is because it's automatic and it's a solid state system. There's no moving parts, so there's very, very little maintenance compared to uh, other other ways of charging the buses, whether a plug-in or overhead um, robotic chargers. So there's a whole bunch of benefits to doing, and where we are as a company right now is really uh, educating a lot of different fleets um, on this and rolling it out in a lot of different transits. And there was a chart in our deck uh, that has some of our deployments. Uh, the nearest one to you is there was a, uh, our first generation technology uh, was up in uh, RTA, up in Howard County. We're actually in the process of upgrading them to a 300 kilowatt system, with, so the four pad system. Um, Chattanooga uh, also has a system where up, they were running a 200, we're upgrading them to a 300, and they're actually expanding their fleet and the number of chargers on it. Um, but if you look around at us uh, or, you know, kind of research what's going on in transit, the Link Transit one has been operating for uh, multiple years, and the only way they charge their equipment is wirelessly, um, and they're continually expanding uh, how much of their fleet is, is operated this way. So with that, I'll just kind of be quiet and kind of go back to you guys if there are questions or thoughts having read this. There's tons more information we can provide you. Uh, but I just wanted to uh, use this as an opportunity to introduce uh, ourselves and the technology. So questions from, from you guys. So, so let me start off. This is Scott Gross with uh, Loudoun County. Thank you for this presentation. It's been very uh, uh, informational. Appreciate it. Uh, so this, I guess the first question I would have is, are any of the jurisdictions that you're dealing with, the first thing that jumps out at me is um, all of our roadways are controlled by Virginia Department of Transportation and trying to get, you know, permission, um, getting uh, probably approvals to be able to get these put into the roadways and have utilities cut through. Have you done that in any of the states? Um, like I see you got that with the link in Washington. Is, do they have a DOT that controls their roads, or are they are they controlled by the city? Um, it, it's actually project to project. It is very very different. Um, so 
usually uh, the, the utility is involved and the utilities have right of way to leverage that right of way. Um, in some cases, uh, we are the uh, transit will own the property. Uh, in some cases, like Howard County is actually on the private property on the mall. I think we have a one dollar a year lease to leverage that piece of property. Um, so that the the real estate piece of this, the, there's no single solution, um, but it's certainly a part of the equation. Um, as we are doing this around the world, so not even just in the U.S., the public entities that we're working with are generally very supportive of electrification and are looking for ways of helping uh, the transit fleets and the agencies. Um, so, you know, the, the first thing from your perspective I would do is both explore um, whether you can leverage your utilities right of ways for chargers, you know, depending upon the ownership of your spots, or if you are running routes that are hitting transit centers where you actually control the real estate, they become natural places to do it. But one of the first things you do when, when looking at this is looking at all of your different um, land access options. Um, but I would say don't think that that's going to be a huge obstacle because all the public entities and the utilities are looking for ways of promoting electrification. Um, and even if they don't aren't thinking about it now, they will be in the near future. The more progressive utilities, um, and this is not so much in the U.S., but in Canada and in Europe, the utilities are actually uh, working with the transit agencies to, to buy, build, and operate this charging infrastructure at, on behalf of the transit agencies. So I, I think over time, the U.S. will migrate to that kind of a model uh, where the utilities become an integral player in this stuff. Um, but in the near term in the U.S., uh, it is each transit agency is kind of on their own trying to figure out the property rights question. Um, but there's usually a good solution. All right, and, and uh, I guess real quickly, just I can't really tap into the Yeah, so so the uh, let, let me go to the, the picture with that had the ground unit. So these are each about think they're a um, <clears throat> 600 millimeter by 600 millimeter. So about a two by two foot. So this is about a four and a half foot uh, by four and a half foot square. Um, and, and these are a mirror of the same size. So these are 600 by 600 millimeter squares. So um, if I might ask, um, right now it looks like your fleet is just buses? Um, no, right now we are operating on uh, buses, passenger cars, class eight vehicles and delivery vans. Uh, we're working with providers of freight trains, uh, ferries, uh, yard tractors, um, basically, all, all the companies you read about in the news that are kind of the new EV players that are emerging, we're most likely working on pilots with with them. Uh, so it's it's a very broad based um, application uh, because what's happening. There was a chart in here about issues people are having with electrification. What they're finding is cable based strategies and not to scale up well uh, because they add a lot of operational complexity. Uh, in terms of new labor, new obstacles in the yard or in the depot, uh, new new safety hazards for workers, new safety hazards for vehicles. 
Uh, so we're eliminating a lot of those uh, complications that people are discovering as they go to scale up their electric projects. Well, the reason for my question is, uh, I know that uh, in the town of Leesburg and Lowndes County, they're looking to green their fleets. Right. And, uh, right. Are, are you open to, is your company open to collaboration and trying to figure out a technology that may work with other uh, electric uh, vehicles? Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are constantly, um, right now with probably over a dozen different vehicle types um, so we would certainly welcome that in uh, that conversation um, and we're we're always looking for new use cases and we're also looking for use cases where different vehicle types can share the same chargers um, one of the things we're doing out in California is um, we're connecting uh, it's 11 different transit agencies have uh, interconnect points along a, um, a bus service and that connects Sacramento all the way into the San Francisco Bay and all the counties along there. So we're actually building a network of these things that all the feeder agencies can plug into. Uh, so the, that long range route uses it as its primary power and then all the feeding agencies can also use it for their equipment at the common nodes in that network. Um, and that networking of chargers is starting to happen out in Washington state as well. Uh, where all the adjacent guys are playing into the network. So all the inner the inner city buses are leveraging this as well. So um, your product sounds like a huge mag charger that we're kind of using for our uh, Apple watches and iPhones. And, you know, it's just a huge one of those. Uh, but what about the uh, side effects of, of me with my iPhone and my I, uh, Apple watch? Yep. Coming over yep. Those. So, 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 so we, we've done extensive EMF testing. Um, and uh, so a couple things, you know, there's a human safety factor and then there's a interaction with other devices factor. Um, we are operating at a very high frequency. Uh, so we are basically operating at a frequency where everything is invisible to the frequency we're operating. Um, so we don't interact with living tissue. We don't interact with water molecules. Um, and as far as other objects, uh, we have a, uh, the field is tightly coupled between the, the upper and the lower plate. And when the system is not operating, it's not activated. So there's no radiation. Um, we do EMF testing to, to see if we're radiating outside of the, the space between those plates. And um, there's extremely, extremely low uh, fields. And you know, I can share information on this. Um, Jaguar Land Rover, who we're doing the, um, uh, we're doing taxis with them using the I-Pace vehicle uh, over in Oslo right now. They were doing their own um, electromagnetic field testing, and they found that the phone charger inside the car and the heater inside the car had much higher field emissions than our system uh, when operating at full power. Uh, so, you know, we've done the testing, um, and we're actually about to publish an IEEE paper on that whole um, kind of that whole question. Um, the other piece of evidence around this is our um, efficiency between these pads. Uh, so from the lower pad to the vehicle side pad is 99.99% efficient. So we're not losing energy in that system. Um, so if we were losing energy, it would be through radiation. So thank you, Bob. Um, and Marty loves the use case from California being his own 
Marty likes the use case of California as well. But having said that, um, we uh, want to sort of wrap this up. Uh, I would, is there, are there any additional questions from anybody? I know that uh, Rushi, when he sent out the note, uh, he said that he would be, he himself or I, we could gather the questions from our TAP Transit Board membership and uh, funnel it to uh, Bob and his team at Moment and answered online. So uh, if there's any, uh, any, uh, questions that you know that you uh, probably rated as pressing uh, at this time, um, uh, I would uh, encourage you to ask. If not, uh, please email to uh, email to uh, uh, Rushi and I, and uh, we'll get it to comment uh, and uh, follow. You follow it up offline uh, and have them answer for you. Hello, this is Penny. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, thank you. Um, I was curious about the comment about the um, lower emissions. I guess it was in Norway that you mentioned, but where does their energy, where does their electrical power come from? Because one of the challenges of electric is the source of the electric, not Absolutely. the vehicle itself. Yeah, no. but where, like, you know, Dominion Virginia Power. I think is moving away from coal powered um, uh, sources of energy or electricity, but that doesn't make it very energy efficient. Would well, you comment on that? Well, yeah, you, you, that, that's more a question around efficiency of EVs versus um, non EV vehicles. So, in a gasoline or a diesel vehicle, um, approximately 80 to 85% of the energy value of the fuel in that vehicle is given up as waste heat. Uh, whereas in an energy-based system uh, like this, only about 10% uh, of the energy is given up as waste heat. And that's all the way from the utility power through to the vehicle. Uh, so number one, it actually uses the energy in the system much more efficiently. And the cost of generating uh, that energy um, at a centralized plant, even a, in a dirty coal plant, is much more cost effective uh, than generating it at a single vehicle level through a diesel source or a, or a gasoline source. So that's part of the motivation for the movement of two electric, even if the centralized plant isn't the most efficient, it is still much, much more efficient uh, than a single vehicle. Uh, so large energy plants probably convert uh, anywhere from uh, 60 to 70% of their energy into or of their fuels energy value into electricity and give up, they give up waste heat and pollutants as well. Uh, but we're in a gasoline vehicle. I think I, I don't quote me on this, but I think it's as high as about 80% of the fuel value is going to pollution and heat versus actually moving the vehicle. Um, so that that's part of the motivation for electrification. And I realize um, it does create local challenges in supply. Um, and that's part of the turmoil in, in the U.S. and everywhere else is uh, trying to rapidly go to cleaner sources of energy generation to fuel the increasing demand coming from electrification of fleet. Uh, but the net result is lower polluting emissions. Sure. Uh, but we can also sign a power purchasing agreement and power it entirely with solar or wind or whatever we want. 
So like we we're not as tied to Dominion anymore as we used to be. Yeah, and, and I, I think what you're going to see more and more is large clean energy projects tied to local initiatives, um, especially when you know when the commercial fleets start electrifying. You know these big fleets with thousands of trucks, they're going to need huge energy demand in places right now where there is kind of scarcity of energy generation. So I think it's going to the electrification of fleets is going to simultaneously drive more and more wind projects in the United States. <clears throat> Norway, where we're working right now, is an anomaly because they have so much hydropower. Uh, they, they actually have negative electric rates because they have surplus of power. So they pay charge their vehicles at home to get rid of surplus power. <laughs> kind of an economy. Uh, this again, I just wanted to say thank you for this presentation. This is very interesting. Yeah, you're welcome. And, uh, you know, we certainly welcome any further comments, questions, thoughts, and uh, we will come engage uh, with the transit or other fleet users down there at any time. It's easy to get down there. Uh, we're, we're based in Philadelphia. We're about 25 miles of uh, Wilmington, 20 miles west of Philadelphia. So that's an easy trip down there. Uh, thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. And uh, all right. Thank please, you all for the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I understand um, uh, some of um, so in terms of next steps, uh, Rushi, do you want to uh, recap the next steps for this conversation? Yeah, so the next steps are, uh, so Bob's team is going to be taking the taking some of the routing information and uh, and give us some, give, give us some modeling. Uh, I'll work, Bob, I'll work with you on timing of all that uh, offline, but I haven't gotten a, I guess he just already dropped, but uh, he, yeah, I'm sorry. oh, there he is, yeah. sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, so I'll work with you offline and get and go back get back to the tab as to when that will be available. Yep. And yep. Um, and then uh, Ram, I think you mentioned something about this potentially going for uh, to at least be the board be advised of it sometime in the in the first quarter or second quarter of this year. Yeah. Yeah. So we will uh, we will work on that um, uh, offline, Rushi, uh, with uh, a couple of supervisors uh, that mentioned um, our express interest, I should say. Um, Supervisor Saints and uh, Turner, and have this uh, uh, have the conversation uh, with them uh, first, uh, and then take it to the larger board uh, and uh, yeah. take it from there. So the, that's why the modeling comes in because it provides us more uh, direct information. Scott, I'll be working with you and Steve, of course, and Penny to make sure that your questions are answered, and uh, so that we kind of have a very accurate model of what it looks like to actually run an electric bus along an, along a route. But if anyone has any questions subsequent to this, uh, please send them on. Jonathan, I got yours. So if there's anything else, I'll be, I'm gonna collect them and I'll send them on Friday to, uh, to Bob. Great, great. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. So that was an information item. Um, so moving on uh, to the second uh, countywide. So this is something that uh, came up uh, from Chair Randall of Public Relations. So this is very similar to uh, Joe Ritchie and Maggie and others. Uh, we also have talked about this, how um, you know uh, the airports authority in the area have done a media campaign, a video uh, as to, you know, uh, showcase uh, how, how, how safe it is 
to uh, transit through uh, airport security, airports, travel through the airplanes, or travel in the airplanes, I should say, and uh, get from place A to place B, and so forth. So uh, Chair Randall had uh, proposed this uh, uh, to do a public relations video regarding this COVID-19 safety and any proactive measures that you know, uh, our transit team, um, Scott, uh, you know, Steve and uh, uh, Sarah on the behind the scenes have put together for our uh, county residents uh, to use the transit. Uh, you know, could be local buses, uh, long haul, or uh, Metro Connect buses for that matter. Um, so that, that's the idea. And uh, um, so uh, Cleo, do you want to add uh, more um, information to that? I know that we had discussed this uh, with Chair Randall. Thank you very much. Um, the only thing that I would add briefly is the reason we were asked to put this forth to the TAB member. Say that again. Oh, oh no, you're, sorry. you're good. Uh, but ridership is down, and also there's a concern that that folks won't get back onto not only the the buses, which is because I believe um, the uh, the metro is uh, the the local routes are still holding up, but that folks won't be comfortable riding the metro lines, and then folks won't be comfortable riding um, the long haul once that ramps back up when that time comes. So um, we were at forth to you guys um, so that we can come up with a campaign or, and and I would argue too some social media um, information that's put out there um, to encourage people and educate people about the safety measures that are currently being taken on um, the Thanks Cleo. So I want to uh, uh, get a uh, you know, pick Scott, uh, our staff, Brain Scott, or anything on the, uh, on this nature, because uh, Sharon mentioned that uh, involve our staff on this heavily, and also uh, she said uh, herself and um, other supervisors and uh, even transit board members could be uh, part of that campaign. Um, uh, you know, because we are about to hit springtime here in uh, in about six weeks. So uh, that's something that so I want to get your uh, thoughts on that, Scott. So we actually did partnered with the Department of Rail and Public Transportation about a month ago on a similar campaign where we uh, took several photos of our buses, of uh, our actual drivers wiping down the buses, our cleaning staff fogging the buses, and and uh, we had a basically you know, a safety campaign that was kind of run, um, that it was actually DRP running it, but we partnered with them and provided the information. So um, we're in agreement with that. The real question is, is the timing of it, is when do you start, you're going to get the, you know, you don't want to spend $100,000 now when there's no ridership and not be able to get it. So it's, it's right now we're just really at the balancing act trying to find out when do you really, when's the best time to start that. and um, I don't have a clear answer for you uh, on that piece of it. We're all in agreement that um, I think that's the best way to go. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I watch the news every morning when I'm getting ready for work, and I see the metro 
you know, we're here for you, we're cleaning up, and we're we're safe, and we're keeping everything safe, and I really love those ads. So I, I think we need to do that for our Metro Connection and our commuter bus services in particular. Uh, but we also need to do that for our local fixed route, too, because we want everybody to understand that, you know, all of our buses are treated equally and that we are, you know, we're cleaning everything and it matters to us. So yeah. um, I, I, I would see that probably as vaccinations ramp up and as people get more comfortable and as we start to go back to work, you're going to, I think that's a, a campaign that we plan on running. Right. So uh, that's a that's a very valid point, Scott. I agree. You know, I, I as I see the vaccination numbers, I think we are Virginia uh, overall. I think it's about 40 percent, 50 percent are have received have received the vaccinations to be administered. Not that we have administered. 40 what? We have received 42 vaccines to administer 40 percent to 40 percent of the population. Not 40 percent? Yeah. No, I think you're way off on that. It's very less. You're saying? Oh, it's a lot less than that. We're we're only getting. I think the state of Virginia at the last, I think the last information I heard was they were getting 10,000 10, vaccinations in a week, a week, a week for the entire state. Okay. So to put that in perspective, there's 420,000 people in Loudoun County alone. So it's it's way it, it they might be four percent, not forty. Forty percent. Okay. So yeah, sorry, I was way off. All right. <laughs> so so. My point was, you know, um, I, it wasn't the same line as you, you know, that we are you know, not quite there in terms of vaccination. So I think vaccination is one of the factors that's going to build that confidence in uh, the public, you know, and indirectly the ridership. So uh, to your point, you know, we need to time it. And I, I personally think, uh, you know, somewhere between spring, um, you know, it could be middle to late spring to early Summer is when I think people might start getting out a little bit out there, um, but probably when the you know the commuter buses and metro connects the population going to DC probably is going to be like this. when the school opens next school year, yeah. I think that's more realistic. Uh, but uh, having said that, we need to have a plan in place uh, for the uh, campaign uh, of for, for for metro connect and commuter buses um, to have that executed. Um, uh, at some point in time. So uh, I think, uh, Cleo, if you would agree, um, we can, um, you know, we can have this item, um, you know, re to have for rediscussing at the next meeting in March uh, and then um, go from there uh, or, uh, yeah, and then uh, act upon it in March timeframe. Um, uh, is, there, is there any other comments from other board members on this? I, uh, Ram, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think, um, you know, let's take a quick peek at it in March. I think it might be uh, the next meeting that we're really, you know, looking at a plan or a date. But I think the idea of getting prepping something for um, the August September timeframe as a rollout would be good. Or, or, or even before that, reinforcement, right? So to Scott's point, you know, when he sees the met, met, metro ads each morning, that reinforces the confidence in the in the customer. So you know, probably late summer, have that rolled out, whatever. Well, and the, and the other thing too is uh, not lost in that same advertising campaign is we got to keep in mind that the Silver Line opening is going to get a lot of advertisement. So as we're advertising the opening of Silver Line, 
we will be point, you know, at the same time, those ads will contain safety measures, right, of what we're doing to keep everything clean and, and keep everybody safe. True. You're so right, Scott. It's Maggie again. Um, you're very right. And they, uh, as they're prepping those ads and working with their agencies, I know that they will be looking to work with you guys and with Loudon. Um, and so some of that messaging and development will come, you know, hopefully from us. Um, but they do have a big resource and they have a, a very nice marketing budget for that. This is Cleo. Any comments on this topic? Hey, Ram, it's Cleo. The only thing that I would add is, um, Scott, if there's anything that now in March um, that comes across your guys' desk, if you could loop us in, because I know for a fact that Chair Randall is eager to get involved. So if there's a way to partner with her along with some of the other board members or the other supervisors, I know that they would want the lead time to be able to incorporate you know, whatever they want to do into the schedule as well. So it, it's, a, it's a, um, I'm glad you brought, brought that up. Um, it's, it's probably a good time for me to mention that we are having a transit summit with the board of supervisors on May the 25th. Um, and I can guarantee you that, that the cleanliness and what we're doing to keep the buses clean and how we're advertising that will be a part of that summit. So, um, that was a good transition. Okay. Uh, Penny, I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts on this for us. I don't know if she's still there. Is Penny still there? Yeah. I'm trying to. <laughs> Am I on mute, Sarah? Penny, we can hear you fine. Okay. Okay, you can hear me mumbling to myself. Okay, uh, um, in terms of of the um, the video and rolling out public relations in terms of our safety on our buses, that's priority, as you know, since COVID set in. Um, and are you saying that Chair Randall wants to actually participate in that video, which would be great? Yes, um, she, she uh, did. She said okay, that um, she more than happy to participate. Okay. Now, is TAB itself thinking that you would participate, or you're just thinking you're helping facilitate getting um, other folks involved with it? Uh, no, no, we would also partake in it um, along with the Board of Supervisors. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I think this is a great idea. I really do. I think you're bringing forward some wonderful ideas for us to look at. So. But as Scott said, we're all, we're already working on our media and marketing program uh, for for the opening of the Silver Line, but continuing to look at what do we do to market about the safety of our buses as they are right now. Great, thanks, Penny. Uh, any other comments from other board members on this before we move on? I have a question. Mark Farage. Go ahead, Jackie, please. Um, so, is, would this campaign be in the younger population that's on the that's next up on the agenda, or would it be like combined effort? Uh, we, uh, no, yeah, we couldn't hear your uh, question clearly, Jackie. I was asking if the campaign, um, the safety measures campaign, that would be 
completely separate from the younger population marketing that I see as item number three. If those are like two separate things, the idea is to kind of. Oh, you're talking about item number three. Item number three, yes. Yeah. So uh, I was going to uh, transition to number four because uh, Scott uh, sort of brought up the Metro grant opening, um, and then he brought in the uh, you know uh, safety measures or the marketing campaign they would have, and then move on to number three. But uh, to your question, um, number three is uh, uh, separate; it's not tangled, um, so it's a separate uh, uh, topic for uh, discussion um, uh, today. Um, well, but I, I think if I heard you correctly, Jackie, the answer to your question is both and. It would be. It would be a Loudoun County transit separate message, but we will also be combined with the safety messages that we will be rolling out with the opening of the Silver Line. Okay, thank you, Scott. Yeah, I would say that, this is Mark Farage, sorry. Um, I would say that not taking advantage of the opportunity to market to younger individuals as we look at Silver Line and obviously the safety of buses would be probably a missed opportunity. So. While we do obviously have it as a separate uh, agenda item here, I think they're um, one and the same because we would want to ensure that our marketing reaches all the audiences. So, uh, Cleo, do you want to transition to number three? Yeah, it's funny that we've already transitioned, which is a beautiful thing. So, um, one of the other items that uh, was brought up during a discussion with Chair Randall is increasing or tapping into uh, the younger millennial population because as we all know, that's an area that Loudoun County wants to attract millennials. Having said that, I don't know what the data is on our ridership. I don't know what the, what the demographics are. Um, so it would be, it, I would be an error to say young people are not riding um, the buses because I don't know that to be a fact. So, and I'm sure the answer is yes. On the ages or the demographic of the people riding the buses, is there a gap? And do we know why there's a gap for young people not riding the bus if that's in fact true? Last point is, um, how do we market to them? My thought is social media. So that was a lot that I said, but I know we're in a time crunch. So Scott, I'll just turn it over to you from there to get your thoughts. So, yes, the answer to your question is, I think we're in agreement with you that social media is the way to get to the younger populations in the county. Um, we finally, in our division, in our department actually, DTCI, have two full-time dedicated communication managers and we will be relying on them to help us with that social media piece. We do not have that uh, expertise internally amongst us in the division, so we are hoping that they are going to be able to help us with that and, and yes, we are in agreement that that's the way we've got to get to those folks. So that, those populations are definitely on the social media scene and, and we've got to tap into that. So um, having said that, I'll add this um, uh, as well to the March item, 2021 uh, meeting item, uh, just to follow up on this, uh, Scott, uh, in terms of if we looked at any particular demographic data and all those information. 
I don't. We're not going to be able to get. I can tell you right now that I, if you're asking me if we can produce demographic data from ridership data, we can't. We don't have that ability. Um, and the ridership right now in the metro connection and commuter buses are so low. If we, if we, if we actually took that survey and surveyed all 75 people that are riding the bus right now, right, right. Um, it really wouldn't be helpful yep. to us. Yep. Uh, Unless you took the information from 2020, early 2020. Yeah, but we did, the problem is we don't have. I've got ridership information, but I don't have demographic. I don't have any. I I can't tell you, um, male, female, young, old. We don't have any of that demographic. We don't have any of that information regarding the ridership. Gotcha. Okay. And we don't collect that at all, mm -hmm. right? We, we do not collect that at all. Well, right. it, it might have been collected. Are you? Demand. You mean 2014? Yeah, so it's very old. Day. Yeah, that's, that's, that's seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, Vlad, you had a comment or a question? Yeah, thank you. I had a question. So, we're talking about younger, right? And then we talked about millennials. So, are we talking specifically about like people in the late 20s or the 30s? Or are we considering people even younger? Both. So that's a very good question, Vlad, and thanks for asking. Both. So pretty much um, folks that are, you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I lived in D.C. I took the metro and the buses all the time. I'm not sure if that's happening out here. Um, in addition, you know, young professionals as well, to your point. All right. So um, one suggestion I would have in this regard is to have um, a County Public School, school student ID or uh, Northern Virginia Community College student ID to act as a pass on our buses. Um, I don't think it's going to be that expensive to us to allow um, high school and um, middle school and you know Nova students to ride and it at least is some form of um, you know encouragement. Good idea, Vlad. Uh, and Vlad, if I may, hi, Scott. Um, it's Maggie. That is a brilliant idea. I can tell you that your neighboring county to the east, um, it took a very long time uh, for a board member to win acceptance of this thought, but the school ID in Reston for middle schoolers and high schoolers, a school ID gets you a free ride on the Fairfax County uh, connector service. And um, it's been a huge help. And those uh, students are still using it even through the pandemic, a smaller number certainly, but instead of going from school to their work, um, they're going from their homes to their jobs and, and back and forth or their homes to a practice or whatever. But anyway, it's a great idea and it's a great way to reach out, reach out and it's a great way to start them young using a service that's right there in their neighborhood. Right, but also it maybe allows us to, to tap into other networks, right? So like a school can, a school can now, like school principal can go on the announcement system and say, hey, by the way, you can now ride for free on a bus. So the one thing that I would say to all the TAB members is, while I think that's a great idea, 
Um, we have to convince the board members have got to be okay with the fares that you're losing on those, right? It, we have to we have to change the mindset of our of all of our elected officials moving forward that we're in a service oriented business and we're trying to you know increase ridership and then it shouldn't always there's a balance financially but so free fares is not something that's been well received in the past so i i guess i'll leave it at that and, and i understand it and uh, free fares across the board are probably not going to fly and i would probably be against them myself. But free fares for uh, younger people, I, I think, plus it's easily enforced, right? Like not, not everybody has a student ID. And also what I'm trying to say here is that we are not losing any uh, revenue here. We're just utilizing extra capacity, that's all. I, I was just gonna make a comment on that, Bernard, that uh, those riders who are giving free rides to wouldn't be taking the bus anyway without that incentive. And what we do is we're putting into them a habit of using uh, public transportation and go from point A to point B. And after they use it for a year or two, uh, it becomes part of their behavior. So uh, in, in the long run, you know, we will benefit. In the short run, uh, as you say, we're just using capacity. We're not necessarily, necessarily gaining any revenue or losing any revenue. Thank you. Thanks, Marty. I have uh, an idea um, when it comes to recruit, uh, marketing to younger population. I am a millennial myself, um, and I can say that I haven't needed or ever used the public transportation system in Loudoun County to get like to places in Loudoun County. Um, but an idea is to use social media um, and come up with some kind of questionnaire to try and reach the younger population and um, ask them like if they're using the public transportation system. Um, if they're not, then why not? Um, and kind of ideas as to um, what sort of changes could we make to make it more attractive to the younger population, um, such as like what kind of stops to where to have the stops. Um, what else? Um, I guess the, the hours of the services, um, those are all things that I would consider when uh, running public transportation. Um, so just my thoughts are using social media and um, threat, uh, I know one, one thing that I know one thing that would attract me to riding the bus more often is to put a coffee kiosk near every stop. I definitely would go for that. So, so Jackie, you're suggesting um, sort of a survey um, um, to, you know, gauge the needs or interests and go from there. Yeah, because I think engagement is important when you are using social media. It's not just yeah. providing a video, but also engaging with the people that you are trying to reach. Um, and I think sure. the electric power initiative that we have going on would be very, very attractive to the younger population too. So if we can tie that in to our uh, campaign efforts, like mentioning that that is where we're moving towards, I think that would be a huge draw as well. Yep. All right. Thanks uh, for that input, uh, Jackie. And uh, for, thanks for that um, 
idea of that. Um, moving on to item, next item, um, Metro Grand opening. I know that Scott touched upon this a little bit in terms of safety uh, campaign. Um, so this was more around the discussion was um, what what is TAB's involvement uh, with the Metro Grand opening. Um, you know, I think currently it's slated to open in the fall, the two stations. Um, so Curry, do you want to um, kick that off again for us? Yes, thank you. So very briefly, um, one of the items that Chair Randall mentioned is that uh, to be involved with the grand opening to include attending. I will say that we put, Ram and I put forth this agenda item before um, we were aware that the opening was being pushed back to the fall at the earliest. So one thing that I would propose for tonight is to move this agenda item to March 17th for further discussion. I will add that to the uh, next tab meeting, um, um, Clea, to be discussed further in anticipation that we open, the metro stations open in fall. Um, having said that, um, any comments on that before we move on to the um, Leesburg district specific items? Uh, Ram, if you don't mind, and Cleo, just it's Maggie again. Uh, when we get to that point or to the point of having 10 minutes for a discussion, I would be happy to give you uh, a brief um, history of phase the phase one opening celebration, the plans and the ex actual execution. Um, basically be have your jogging shoes on, be nimble and be ready for anything to happen at any time. But um, we can get to that later on. But thanks very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, so we will probably have that um, um, uh, information from you for discussion in uh, March, Maggie. Great, and happy to talk to you offline, Cleo, if you want to know. Thank you. Yep, yep, yep. All right, thank you. I'm moving on to the Leesburg specific items. So let's, uh, we will probably discuss the um, item number three first and then um, go with items one and two, those are sort of go together. So item number three, um, this was this came up in a discussion with Supervisor Umstead. Uh, she mentioned that she has put in $177,000 uh, in the capital improvement plan funding request for bus, bus shelters. And um, she had indicated that, uh, you know, she would appreciate um, TAB membership um, if, if, if our membership here could support this uh, funding uh, request that she has put for put in uh, for the board of supervisors for the, for the next year, next fiscal year, spending. Uh, I should say, uh, Marty, do you want to add um, additional details on this before um, we um, um, discuss that? Sure. Um, so, some things that Ram and I have talked about was that. Uh, I would like to see us um, create a subcommittee to address uh, these um, bus services to the Point of Rocks. Uh, not only that, uh, um, with all these different um, uh, uh, additional bus routes, that uh, we could also talk about, you know, we talk about a Leesburg hub 
to Corner Rocks. Uh, we should also be talking about a Western hub to Brunswick. Uh, and uh, also, sorry, uh, are there sorry, any buddy. other hubs within the town that can go to the different or within the county uh, that we can centralize a bus route from that hub to Brunswick or Corner Rocks? How many do we need? You know, uh, is it just two in the morning, one in the morning, two in the afternoon? Uh, those are things that we need to talk about on what we can do. And then also, uh, where hubs would be located. I know, I know, for example, I agree. This is so, this is tough to deal with. <laughs> but, uh, and also, um, uh, where would the hubs be located? Uh, for example, my suggestion was that uh, maybe we use the Leesburg Commuter Parking Lot as a as a hub or points to Corner Rock, and then maybe there's another uh, personal commuter parking lot that would have a hub to uh, Brunswick. And uh, why do we want to do this? Is because it uh, offers opportunities to take advantage of the train routes that go directly into DC, and then also. Um, there, we, we talked about the potential uh, that they're going to be adding more routes that go directly from DC to Richmond. And maybe uh, talk about adding, uh, a, a, again, this subcommittee would also look into the need for maybe adding a stop to the train station or more stops to the train station on commuter bus routes for those commuters or travelers that want to go to Richmond. And the question there is, is that if we do do that, how are we going to advertise all of these? So I think trying to ask the Transit Advisory Board to look into all of this stuff as a group would be a little, little hard. So I think if we, you know, ask three members uh, uh, to take these and and you know look into these and, and see what the advantages, disadvantages, and how we would uh, push this out to our our transit communities. I know that. I have a, a few people in Leesburg that go directly to the to the train station that drive there, pay for parking, and, and etc. Uh, them knowing that there was a bus route going directly to the Point of Rocks and back would be something that would be attractive to a few of them. So th these are just uh, one of the things I, I brought up in discussion with them on on doing this, and uh, would be looking for people to volunteer uh, on that subcommittee. This is something I think that we could, uh, as a committee, have action on, be able to do some investigating and offer recommendation to the advisory board, which then we can offer a re recommendation back to our board of supervisors and staff on what we think would be would be a good idea. And some of that might be kind of uh, like Jacqueline's, Jacqueline's um, recommendation that maybe we could use Facebook and, and do a survey and, and get feedback that way. Uh, I, I, I'm not you know, again, you know, this is something that uh, needs to be discussed and have people willing to uh, take the, uh, the initiative and run with it. Uh, thanks, Marty. So, as the TAB membership heard, so Marty went through uh, items one and two uh, listed under Leesburg, whereas I outlined like item number three. So, uh, we'll go with um, the flow that Marty did. So, items number one and two, that's what he uh, talked in detail. And uh, when uh, Marty and I discussed um, these items, uh, one and two, he had suggested, as he indicated, um, it will be uh, good use of 
uh, the time um, for the transit board to have a subcommittee tasked uh, with the specific asks uh, to look into the details um, in terms of uh, you know advantages, disadvantages, any further data um, that might be available out there, and uh, and look at the potential uh, for any of these items and report to the transit board. I think uh, uh, in March. Um, so, um, uh, well, having said that. Well, I apologize. I, I did jump right into that and didn't really attack item number three or, or yeah, discuss yeah, no, item I'm number three. Of, yeah, no worries. No worries. I sort of um, did the other way around, but it's good. Um, so, having said that, uh, Mark, um, are there um, is, is there somebody out there uh, who's interested to be part of subcommittee uh, to look at items number one and two um, and report back to the whole transit board in March? Um, Ram, I was going to, I want to add something on this. Um, I, I don't sure. question the, um, the potential need for it, but I don't think the timing is proper right now. Um, I mean, we're looking at decreased ridership across every liberal mode of public transportation from train, bus, um, metro, et cetera. Um, we're looking at significant changes in remote work and corporate work environments and government work environments oh, probably over the next two to three quarters to see how things start to shake out. So I'm not exactly sure if the data that a subcommittee would gather in Q1 of 2021 would be applicable um, because we really don't know what the trends are going to look like or what the work environment is going to look like post, uh, let's say, Q3, Q4 when we anticipate vaccinations and, and things starting to return to normal. Um, I think the data that we gathered or the information that we pulled would be invalidated based upon what happens Q3, Q4 of 2021. Just my thoughts. I'm not opposed to it. I just don't know if the timing is right. This is John. I 100% I, I agree with what Mark just said, too. I think it's just we should be looking at this maybe next year or the year after. Um, so... Uh, so this is very much similar. So this is very much similar in terms of what Scott indicated earlier for, um, you know, the items that we talked about in terms of uh, catering to the um, younger population, millennials, and um, you know, uh, even further. So Marty, um, um, what's your thoughts on that? As you, um, you know, as we heard that from Mark Faraj and uh, and John on that. Well, my comment is, I. I kind of agree with Mark, but I also look at this right now, they're adding these routes today or, or in the near future. These are things that are going to be proposed. And I, I don't want us uh, talking about just talking. I want us to do some action on some of these and so and be proactive in what we do. I know that uh, uh, I was, you know, kind of hoping that Vlad and, and uh, Jacqueline would take the lead in this and uh, run with it. Uh, I know that uh, it's something that I think uh, the numbers may, may not be as great as we can anticipate in the future, but I think they'll still be statistically represented of, of what we could potentially see down the road. No, I, I, I certainly support that, um, but, you know, in terms of um... Uh, you know, to make these, uh, you know, changes or anything, uh, what's the most recent data that we'll be using uh, to do our work or research um, based off of is what I'm thinking. 
Well, I'd like to hear Scott's take on this, uh, whether the data would be relevant or not. Well, I mean, so I stated that earlier. Right now, the at least the commuter bus and the metric connection bus, Marty, we're running at four between four and six percent of what we were running pre-pandemic. So, I, you know, right now, and exactly what Mark Farage is saying is. What's going to shake out over the next 12 months is, you know, our quote-unquote our new normal, and I think he is spot on when he says that you're going to see a new corporate work structure. I think it'll, I, I think you're still going to see people going back to the office, at least federal government-wise, um, but it'll be less. You know, we're, we're anticipating two days a week of, of teleworking probably moving forward. Um, so I, I, all of that spells right now that means that I just don't know if we did a survey right now. I mean, half the people don't even know if they're going to go to if they're going to have jobs here in a couple of months or six months. So I, I think that's what my concern would be right now with with doing a survey at this point in time. Um, I just I, I agree with Mark. I just think the timing is. It's, it's, it's a struggle, it's a challenge right now. Well, I'll, 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 I'll not fight it, but I just want us to remember that we have been working under a cloud for a long time, and I'm tired of thinking cynical. I'm tired of, 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 of always waiting for somebody else to make a move and numbers to uh, spur us to be proactive. You know, I'm, I'm an optimistic, uh, you know, and, and I think we're going to do fine. I think uh, anything that we do now will help us make decision, help decision making in the future. But like I said, I'm not going to push back much other than what I've just said. And if we're willing to go ahead and wait, so be it. Um, if I may comment a little bit. So I, I definitely see the point uh, in people saying yeah. that like, there is a lot of uncertainty. And uh, I mean, you cannot argue with that. But also mm -hmm. from what I am reading about like best practices in public transportation and stuff, like a lot of it is just a matter of almost like geometry, right? Where buses make sense and where buses don't make sense. So I don't think it will, like I don't think survey will help now, but just kind of entertaining this idea and thinking how a potential route um, may look and uh, like which point may make sense, it, it won't hurt, right? So yeah, we, we will not gather any like data and potential readership, but I don't think it will hurt us to explore the potential, right? And like one intriguing thing just based on geography that I see is just um, Levittsville to Brunswick because the distance is not that great. And uh, you, can, you can have like very frequent buses and uh, we, we may even target like beyond commuters. So like commuters will be just one of the, you know, target audience. So things like that. Uh, I mean, uh, from my perspective, it's just worth exploring, even if we don't have data. Uh, this, is, this is John, Can I, I wanna jump in here. Uh, when I first moved out to Loudoun County, I used to drive to Point of Rocks to take the trains into DC for the long commute. I didn't even know about the bus service. But once I found out about the bus service, 
I found out that it was much more convenient and faster than the uh, the trains. I had to go from Point of Rocks to Union Station and then take the metro to another metro station and then walk up to my office. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, who are the people that are going to be using this service if they did have it? Would it be the people that are going into uh, Rockville, Gaithersburg, Germantown, or Silver Spring and not D.C.? Because actually uh, the long commute to D.C. is much faster uh, than taking the bus to Point of Rocks and Point of Rocks into D.C. Right. And, yeah, so the like taking 20-minute ride in the wrong direction and then taking a train doesn't make much sense, which which is, uh, like, why maybe that particular idea is not the best one. But there are other, like, smaller towns closer to, to trains, again, like Labitsville to Brunswick. So maybe that's worth exploring. So, so having said that, uh, so, uh, so we, uh, so the, uh, we don't have the current data is not uh, probably accurate, but looks like, um, you know, we are inclined towards exploring, um, some of these, uh, routes and, and the hub location that Marty mentioned and, uh, uh and also the Virginia uh, uh, trains that run that run between um, Richmond, DC routes, and adding you know any any uh, any uh, stops along the along the line. So um, having said that, uh, 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 Marty, did you say, uh, lad, lad, you want to be part of that um, effort? And um, and um, is there is there anybody else? Um, uh, that want to be a part of this effort to explore not really there isn't really much data but i think um, we just want to gauge the interest and 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 um for these two items and um report back in march is there, is there anybody else that want to be part of this effort with vlad for the subcommittee i'm happy to i just um not really sure how we would go about yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's something that we need to um, probably. Um, I, uh, I will work with Marty um, to um, have a discussion with um, Vlad, and if you're interested, Jackie, um, probably sometime later this week to to understand how we're going to go about um, getting um, you know work, working on this. Um, so uh, having said that. Uh, do we so it's so do we want to uh, I, I added these two as an information item um, do we want to uh, vote, vote on these uh, for these two items do we want to vote on it um, to have a uh, subcommittee uh, tasked uh, looking at the potential for these two items and report back to us uh, in March meeting so uh, let me um, this is mark again let me just add something on here so uh, purpose of the subcommittee is to drive action. Action in the case of transit costs dollars, period. Um, so regardless of whether we uh, form a subcommittee, et cetera, um, let's just say, let's play a full ideal scenario where we do form a subcommittee, we come back and we say, oh, there's a need. Well, the first thing the board is going to do is going to say, show me the data that supports the need. Um, there's not going to be any data to support it. So you basically just wasted the time and energy of people from a subcommittee perspective 
because what the board is going to do with close dollars, particularly in an environment where tax dollars are going to be going down and you're going to be very concerned from the budgetary perspective, is any additional service, any additional transit items that require uh, expenditures that were not previously outlaid, such as new routes, uh, et cetera, are going to cost money. And unless we have a damn fine uh, story to tell with supporting data to be able to support that, we're not going to be able to get anywhere. And further, what I would say is if we provided this information to the board and said we base this off of our feelings or off of COVID-19 ridership, they're going to laugh at us um, because they're going to say, that has no applicability to us spending dollars for future scenario that we really don't know about. So I would I would caution um, against forming a subcommittee at this time because I think it would be wasted effort and energy. Again, I'm not against it. I just don't think the timing is right um, because again, the purpose of subcommittee is to drive action. So uh, having said that, uh, so without data, uh, it, it will be hard to hard, it'll be hard to justify. Uh, because I, I've been um, si sitting uh, uh, in some of the board meetings, and you know, as we all know, they have uh, slashed uh, the budget uh, in terms of uh, spending across, and um, so they, I, I completely agree. Um, so having said that, we will, I think probably we'll revisit this item um, um, in the March meeting. I'll, I'll add this meeting. I'll add this item to the March meeting and see where we are um, in terms of um, uh, the whole uh, COVID situation and uh, whatnot, and then um, take it from there. Uh, does that seem to be, uh, you know, agreeable to? Uh, I have I have no problem with that, but uh, the the only comment I have to make is that you cannot make assumptions about the work of a subcommittee and whether we're going to be going after stuff without data and that we're going to bring a recommendation without data. Those are certain things that we look at. And I know that in the past when I've looked at stuff, I definitely would not come back with any recommendation without enough justification behind it. And to assume that a subcommittee like ours would come back with a recommendation without uh, justification behind it, I think is is not Correct. Uh, I, I think uh, um, the idea of exploring is there's never been anything wrong with it. And as far as not having data right now doesn't mean that somewhere down the road we can't find that data and get it and make our case. But to assume that we are not going to do it or we can't do it or we can't find it, I think is a wrong assumption. But I have no problem moving this forward to Mark. And uh, we could take it from there. Hey, Marty, uh, yeah. if I could just say one real quick, we just, I, I agree with what you're saying. The uh, we have lots of uh, also survey data from pre-COVID that we could really use. And honestly, this is the time to do this. It, it's counterintuitive, but when it when when and if when the ridership comes back, it's great if we're ready as as a county. And so, believe it or not, this is the opportunity to actually put something like this together. If, if the metric is always going to be we need to be 100% right 100% of the time, then we're never going to do anything with the analysis paralysis, but we've got plenty of data from the past that could help us even put some some information together and, and, and a startup plan. We don't have to fully execute it on day one. So uh, I, I think this is a great opportunity for us to 
Can we, can we, can we see this data then? Uh, it's actually, it's, uh, this data is already, yeah, so uh, John, this is uh, data that we've gotten as a tab members in the past. Um, I don't know if it's in the archives or anything, but yes, we've, we've received it before this current tab is, as, uh, as this data is public. Why, why don't we do this then? Um, why don't we find the data? We have until March to look at it preliminary without forming a subcommittee. And then in March, we decide whether to make a more concerted effort. And I wanted to compliment Rusi on the idea that now is the time to make analytics work because basically we have time uh, when things happen and it's too late already. So let's do that. Uh, let, let's let's look at it uh, without um, you know uh, formally tasking anything from on a subcommittee perspective. Uh, Rushi, probably I will work with you to. Um, uh, I, I think we already have the data, but I will uh, work with you uh, and um, circle with uh, uh, Marty, Vlad, and and Jackie possibly, and then um, come back in March and uh, take it from there. Thank you. So. Um Sounds great. So also, there's one last item. Um, Supervisor Umstadt has uh, requested 177,000 CIP funding for bus shelters. And uh, I'm trying to remember if that was uh, uh, particularly around the Leesburg area. Am I right, uh, Ram? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, they're, they're looking for support from, from uh, our, our uh, board to, to uh, recommend, uh, and I guess we, we, we want to have a resolution supporting the bus shelters. But one of the things that, that I, I am concerned about, uh, I have no problem supporting this money uh, for bus shelters around this area, but we have to look farther down and for all of Loudoun County. For example, if we ever have a, uh, a bus route uh, that is, um, gaining ridership that goes from Percival to Leesburg to Sterling or uh, other parts west, we should start looking at uh, what we can do with bus shelters. And also my other concern that I talked about with Rama about on bus shelters themselves is it's great to have bus shelters on a route until the route changes. So, so the question there is, is how do we make these bus shelters portable? So that if if there is a new bus route and these bus shelters are no longer viable, how do we pick them up and move them to a new location? And you know, it, it could be as easy as just building a um, a bus shelter around four posts that a crane just lifts it up, put it on the back of a truck, and move it to the next spot. But uh, those are concerns I have that if if we do support this, that we make it in a way that uh, the bus shelters aren't necessarily fixed and, and that they can be portable. I would like to hear your thoughts. Um, if, I, if I may, um, yes, yeah, so like we have certain amount of money to spend on public transit, right? And I would look at it this way, is $200,000 the best way we can spend money on public transit? We have to have registered data to, to support that, yes, people are standing in those spots 
insufficient numbers to justify the expense. Right? Otherwise, these shelters are just decorations and they serve no uh, viable purpose. So, I mean, I, I would look at I would look at data for for those locations. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I would think, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, that when you're putting up a bus shelter, there are some parameters you have to have to make sure that that bus shelter is going to be put in a place that needs it. Hey, Scott, it's Maggie. I don't know if you want to talk or if you want. If no, I could. Um, and Vlad, that's a great point. Marty, you ask a great question. I think bus shelters get put in when they are thought about in advance of the bus routes coming, and they are put in hoping that if you put it in, riders will come. Um, and the county has done a number of things to try and get more bus shelters out there. They have had uh, very creative contracts with advertise billboard advertising folks who have said, we will build the bus shelter and build the concrete pad it needs to go on and the road and curb changes that need to happen in order to get the bus shelter operational um, for any rider um, if you let us sell the advertising on the bus shelters. Um, so that's a great deal. It's very tough though, because the routes that people are advertising on can't drive the ad rate dollar value that's needed to really make it profitable for the ad company. Um, the other thing, I love your idea of, yeah, what happens when we put a new street in down the road and have to move that, that bus stop or um, any of that. The shelters in and of themselves are not ridiculously expensive. They're between ten dollars and $25,000 if you get a single or a double. Their size precludes them from being, you'd need a crane to lift them on a flatbed, and you would need special transportation to make sure that they could get underneath all of the overhead wiring. Um, so there you go, you've quadrupled your cost of shelter just trying to move it. Um, and those are just a few of the things that I have witnessed over the past seven years doing bus shelters around. Uh, and sorry to be a negative milling. So from our side of things, what I can tell you is we did just do two years. When did we do the ADA transition plan? Two years ago? Three years ago? All right, so when we did that, we actually had ridership numbers from all of the stops. So obviously that's pre-pandemic. Um, the good news is, is that we have outfitted all of our local fixed route buses with um, automatic passenger counters, which we are tying to GPS locations, which will be, give us much more accurate data of who's getting on and off at what stops. And that will allow us to help make these decisions moving forward. That's exactly one of the reasons we did that. 
um, is to be able to find out where our busier bus stops are. Um, I, but I, I will tell you in the spirit of authenticity and transparency that our local fixed route system that while it's maintaining its ridership, you know, if you want to compare it to like WMATA where they have, you know, 150 boardings at a stop a day and, and therefore they have a, um, a bus shelter there, our busiest stops outside of the hub at Leesburg and the hub at, at the Dallas Town Center might have 10 or 12 or 15 people on them. So, you know, that, that's kind of where the, the question of the shelter comes in as to what, you know, if you're looking at parameters and, and most parameters, kind of going back to what Marty was saying earlier, you know, I would say statistically speaking, when I look around at the different jurisdictions and their parameters, you know, you're usually, you're usually hitting somewhere between 40 and 50 people at a stop before you're considering putting a shelter in it. Um, but then again, that's a subjective thing. If you're, if you're in the town of Leesburg, for example, and you want to put amenities out there because that's, you want to do what's best for your, uh, constituents, then that's a totally different way to view a bus shelter program. This is Mark Farage. I'm just going to add a point here. Um, perhaps a suggestion that we may want to make to supervisors or UMSTAD is that perhaps that $177,000 instead of being spent for specific bus shelters, perhaps it's something we may want to look at of providing a Loudoun County grant for reimagining a bus shelter from a, a portability, et cetera, perspective and making the design criteria that it has to be easily movable, collapsible, uh, and transportable by, um, you know, something small, et cetera. Um, but, you know, ADA compliant, et cetera, and creating a grant for local companies to do that. We, uh, we ramp up the technology and maybe create a new kind of concept from a, a shelter perspective. Plus we provide funding from a job perspective to a Loudoun County business. So this is going to be, this is an information item for the tab. So primarily uh, Supervisor Umstead uh, suggested, uh, you know, uh, if TAB want to take a, uh, a stance on this, position on this, and, you know, uh, if TAB would support it, um, she said that would be great. So Marty, uh, so uh, for what Mark Farad suggested, we can add that and um, then send it to, um, and we can bring this uh, again in March. Uh, as a board to vote on it and then send it to uh, Supervisor Umstead um, and uh, the rest of the board uh, as to where we stand and what we support. Uh, where does she need it? When does she need it? Uh, uh, she, I think uh, this is a budget item. Uh, they are working through the budget. Um, she didn't specify date, but I, I'm, I'm assuming if we send it um, um, in March uh, after our meeting, um, it, should, it should help the cost. So uh, then I'm assuming that uh, staff will put forth a resolution with certain options that we've discussed. All right. So uh, do you want to uh, make that resolution um, for the March meeting? We can add that to the item for March 17th. Is that a yes, Marty? Well, no, no. Uh, um, I was hoping staff would put one together for us. 
uh, and then we can uh, edit as we get it. Uh, just as a reminder, Marty, uh, I suppose I am the staff now as secretary of putting that together. Then would you mind? I do not uh, mind. Thank you. Yeah, Mark Fraud. Just, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there for you guys. I don't have the budgets board work sessions off the top of my head, but I think your March meeting is going to be too late. I think they're going to have already set the budget by, or pretty close to it by then. Okay. So you might want to just look. I know that they've got, I'll I, I tell you what, from my perspective, I will tomorrow morning when I come in, I'll look up the board budget work sessions and just, send them out, those dates out to you so you know where they are, okay. where they stand. Because I just want to make sure that you're getting your information to them in a timely manner. I mean, it's, it's being prudent. It's, yeah, okay. Um, so based on the dates, uh, we might have to do uh, or, or an email or something um, uh, for the resolution. Um, Mark, um, we might have to send it to the rest of the board or email and um, have it um, voted on or email and then send it to the Board of Supervisors. I, uh, just Mark, just for a point of clarification, I don't believe we are allowed to do a vote via email or move a resolution forward. That's that's correct. Um, what what we could do is uh, do an ad hoc resolution right now. If if you want to make that, Mark, I'll second it with your suggestion. Um, so let me get this from a clarification perspective. Um, are, and again, I'm just trying to reflect back upon um, board service in Fairfax County. In essence, is what Supervisor Umstead asking for is um, a letter, in essence, or um, show of support from the tab for this hundred that seventy-seven thousand dollar funding for bus shelters, because she is planning to add it into the budgetary process already, and she just wants tab support. Is that correct? She already has put for this department. She already has requested this item. It's already added. Um, she said it would be um, it be uh, it will help the cost if uh, transit um, board would take a stance and if they would support it. Uh, that'd be great. Hey, this is John. I mean, I would support funding for shelters. It was it's just a matter of where to put those shelters, and that can come later. But I have no problem with them actually putting it in the budget now. So. Uh, if, we, if we want to take a vote on that now, I'm fine with that. Yeah. yeah, so what I would do is I would just put a motion forward, um, Marty, since you brought this one up. Um, I would word it simply as saying that um, I make a motion for TAB to support the $177,000 SIP funding request for bus shelters as put forward by Board of Supervisor Umstead in the 2021 budgetary session. This is John, I, I second that. Okay. Um, but do we do we next fiscal year? But um, do we really want to do it? Like what I just heard from yeah. you know, the county staff is that our stops do not meet the industry criteria for shelters. Like they're just like not utilized enough. Do we well, really yeah. have? Well, this is just earmarking money right now in the budget for bus shelters, how they spend it or how we can always come back later. And if it gets 
put in, you can always come back later and ask them to do it with to do it under these this direction. Uh, I and and I hear what you're saying, Vlad and Marty. I don't want to obstructionist to a process, but I think that the business community in general would really leap at Mark's suggestion that we do a, a nimble reevaluation of, of what an effective bus shelter is. We're still designing them and implementing them as they were, you know, 30 years ago. Um, so anyway, that that is that is my comment. It would be great to to hop into a little innovation, um, and again, one hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars distributed through Leesburg, and you are not going to be able to get one installed for less than twenty, if that. Again, it's the curb cuts, the concrete. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Um, so having said that, um, um, so Mark, uh, you made the motion for 2022 budget and John. I know, I was suggesting that's how Marty would word it. I did not make the motion. Oh, no. <laughs> make the motion. Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. That's what I thought I wanted to confirm because John seconded. Uh, so, <laughs> I took it as a motion. <laughs> Marty, you want to make a motion? Yes, I'll make the motion. Point of order, is it uh, fiscal year 2022? Is that what we're talking about? That's right. Okay, thank you. This is John, I second. Uh, this is Mark Farage. What I would say too is, is we made that motion. Um, if we if we do like the ideas, uh, Maggie just said of, you know, some nimble funding or, or innovation, et cetera. What we can then do is if, even if this is um, added to the budget and gets support of the board, what we can then do from a follow-up perspective is make that suggestion to the board and say, hey, one of the things that Tab was thinking about was is that while we earmarked this 177 for bus shelters, here's maybe a better use of that money that we thought. And I think that would be an easy sell to the board um, as an option. And again, it would, I think, provide that value from the Tab of bringing good ideas to the board of supervisors, to the government for the use of funds. All right. Um, so, Marty, you want to make that? Well, we, we, we got the motion. You got a second. Uh, are you done with discussions? Then, if you are, I would like to call the question. Uh, no, uh, Mark Farage did not make the motion. It's the mo So, you made the motion, Marty? Yes, and John second. Okay, John second. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, for discussion, do you have a question? Or are you calling for questions? No, I'm calling the question, which means I'm asking for a vote on the resolution. All right. So, um, so uh, folks in support of uh, the resolution that Marty made uh, for uh, 177,000 for the bus shelters in the 2022 budget, um, according to uh, uh, Supervisor Umstad. Um, <coughs> So we had to go by vote. Um, Bruce, are you in favor? 
what was the uh, what was the alternative though? That's just going to be an unwritten kind of like um, possibility that that money could be used elsewhere. Just going to not include that in the resolution. We're just going to say yes to the uh, or what? yes or no to the uh, one hundred seventy seven thousand. What we're doing is it's not a definite. We're supporting Kristen Unstatt's uh, move to allocate 177 for a bus shelter. We're, it's not, not a given. It's just we're supporting her action to uh, earmark that money. Okay. Okay. I'll vote yes. Vote yeah. All right. CC Simpson? Based on that statement, I vote yes. Thank you. Uh, Charles? Charles has to leave the meeting. Okay. Um, uh, Jackie? Yes. Thank you. Joe? Yes. John? Yes. Cleo? Yes. Thank you. Maggie? Uh, yes. Mark? Yes, Mark Fresh, I vote yes as the motion was read. Thank you. Uh, Marty? Yes. I vote yes. Ram? Rushi? This is Rushi, I vote yes. Vlad? I'm sorry, I vote no. Okay. 12. Um, So that that passes uh, eleven one three. Eleven one. Eleven one. Yeah. Eleven one three. Uh, eleven. Uh, yes. One no. And three. Uh, not present for the vote. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ron, this is Mark. Uh, based upon that, what may I make a suggestion that um, one of the um, officers draft a letter? Uh, reflecting this option and kind of add in the additional language that we discussed optionality etc and then we can um, issue that to the board of supervisors yep and uh, you 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 are uh, taking leading up the task right mark for that for that resolution i believe that is that being is that called being voluntold <laughs> that is being secretary <laughs> definition of that yes <laughs> Noted. I will. Uh, I will draft up a letter tomorrow and circulate it to the board for comments before we send to the board of supervisors. Thank you. Thank you. So that that finishes that. And organizational matters. Um, we have to approve minutes and the meeting for the rest of the year. Um, so uh, uh, is is there a motion to um, approve um, um, number eighteen minutes? Okay, Marty moved. Um, is, is there a second? Second, this is Rushi. Okay, thanks, Rushi. All right, I got to go individual votes here. Uh, Bruce, is that a yes for the meeting uh, meeting minutes? That's a yes. Okay. Casey Simpson? Yes. Thank you, Charles. Oh, Charles is not here, sorry. Um, uh, Han, uh, Hans is not here either. Uh, Jackie? 
Thank you. Um, Joe? Yes. John? Yes. Thank you. Uh, Cleo? Yes. Thank you. Maggie? Uh, yes. Parker. Yes. Thank you. Mark Frage? This is Mark Frage. I vote yes to approve the minutes as drafted for the November 18th, 2020 business meeting. Thank you. Marty? Yes. Uh, um, I vote yes, Ron. Um, Rushi? This is Rushi. I vote yes. Vlad? Yes. Thank you. So that passes 12 um, zero, 03. Um, and the meeting schedule for uh, 2021, rest of the year, uh, 2021, and the first business meeting in 22. Um, is there a motion to move the um, calendar dates as presented? Meeting dates. I have one comment, Ron. Sure. If if there's an appetite for it, if possible, can the meeting start at six thirty to eight thirty? Because we always seem to need about two hours. Okay. Love that. Love that suggestion. Staff okay with that? Um, do any of the other uh, tab members have uh, have an objection? With um, any of the members have an objection moving it up to six thirty? I don't see object, any objection. I will uh, um, just throw this out there for you. That the reason it's been seven in the past was when you physically had to show up. People were having trouble getting here at six thirty. No, it's all virtual, right? Well, I, I mean, for now, assuming you're virtual for the rest of the year, six thirty should be good. Good. Yeah. Just throwing that out there for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I'm not sure if you, if you, if the rest of the tab board heard that uh, comment from Scott. So we had it at seven uh, to ensure that people, you know, going to DC and and you know, driving back from elsewhere have enough time to get to a place of meeting physically. Now that the meetings are electronic, um, you know, we probably could get away with having it at six thirty. Um, so we can, um, yeah, I think it says electronic meetings. So when we have to go back to in-person meeting twenty twenty one, some point in time or twenty two. We might have to revisit that time um, as what um, Scott was suggesting. So I have no problem with it either, even though it does cut into my afternoon nap time. <laughs> bad, bad. Well, I'm like a hobbit. I take three naps a day and have four meals a day. All right. So, smart for uh, us. I would just add that um, if things change, you know, Q3, Q4 timeframe, we can always move the meeting time as well. Um, I don't think right. the meeting time per se is um, as important as the dates. Yep. Yep. Well, so, uh, on that, Mark, in the past, we've had issues on moving uh, the, the times because we, these have to be, well, and Sarah can correct me, but if these meetings have to be advertised, don't we have to give three days notice if we're changing the time or place? Yes. So uh, yeah, I have no problem with changing the time, but if we got to change the time of a meeting, we need to make sure we do it in plenty of uh, time. Yes. Yes. So uh, what by approving this schedule, we'll announce all of these meetings. The time will be set. If we find 
Thank you. Yeah, I would envision this more like um, probably in the at our September meeting, looking and gauging on whether people are going back to work or not, and if we need to move the time for the November January meetings. But I would imagine virtual will be probably uh, standard fare through Q3 of 2021. Um, so, uh, Cleo, do you want to make a motion with that, um, with the, with the dates and the, um, new time from 6.30 to 8.30 for the meetings? Sure. I, uh, formally put forth the motion to approve the dates as listed and under organizational matters and to adjust the time from 7 to 6.30. So, I'll move. so the meeting second. 6.30 to 8.30. Okay. So who, who seconded it? I did, Martinez. Marty, Marty, second. All right, let's do the roll call vote on this. Um, Bruce, is that a yes for that meeting time? And even so, even so, if that means I'm going to have. Right. Uh, C.C. Simpson. This is for the moving to 6.30. I just want to make sure I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same date, uh, six thirty to eight thirty. Yeah. That's perfect. I, I say yes. Are we moving the dates? Uh, I believe that was clear. No. What Cleo said is to uh, move the time and to the date. Correct, correct. Keep the dates access and then just change the time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So CC, um, so the dates are the same as listed in our meeting agenda today, but it's just the time has been. Moved from the start time is moved from 6:30. Uh, sorry, excuse me, 7 to 6:30, and the meeting runs through 8:30. Yes, understood. My my answer is yes. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, Jackie. Yes, as well. Thank you, Joe. Yes. John. Yes. Cleo. Yes. Maggie Parker? Gladly. Thank you. Mark Farage? Uh, this is Mark Farage. I vote yes. Um, the motion is read. Marty? Yes. And I vote yes. Ron? Um, Rushi? Yes. Vlad? Yes. Thank you. So that passes 12. Zero three, um, and um, do you have information on this uh, for us to discuss today, um, Mark? Review of the tab bylaws, grammatical edits. I'll just add a uh, quick update. <clears throat> uh, I've gone through and finished uh, making the grammatical edits and a few other um, small little corrections from a spacing perspective, etc. I will convert that into PDF and I will circulate it to um, the board. And then I would propose that at our March seventeenth meeting we vote um, to adopt the grammatically edited bylaws um, and replace them on the uh, online portal. Mark, is that going to be redlined? It will be redlined. Thank you. Nor as I should Any say it questions? already is, <laughs> or black line as we call it. Any questions on that or comments? Okay. Um, I'll just add that I did check with the county administrator. 
administration. And uh, so with the marked up edits are going to be made, I'm going to turn away from them and I'll make a decision as to whether they're significant enough to have to go before the board. I'm, I'm pretty confident that that's Um, so, so, Sarah was just saying if there's any significant changes, uh, then you might need to go in front of Board of Supervisors uh, for the blessing. But uh, if not, um, it does not have to. Okay. Yeah, there's no there's no significant changes. But again, I think it would be advisable since it is technically a board document to probably give them a copy just for a review. Okay. Thanks, Mark, um, for your time and effort on that. Um, and Steve Perro, um, do you have updates for us on in terms of ridership? I do, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to keep it really brief. I'm not even going to get Sarah to give me the opportunity to share my screen because the graphs don't look that much different than you last saw them. I will just tell you that, as you can imagine, we typically, over the holiday period, starting from the end of November through the first of the year, we see a dip in ridership as compared to the other months of the year. This year was... Quite, uh, was a little bit different. That holiday, that dip started more towards the beginning of November. Um, hmm. If you recall, Election Day, you know, there was a, a reduced ridership that day, but there were also a couple days after that where people avoided downtown D.C. because there was talk of significant protests. Um, as obviously, we got into after the first of the year. Um, we believe we saw a pullback in COVID stances and, and a, a re-increase of teleworking. Um, and then obviously the political situations in downtown Washington and the security situations throughout the month of January uh, very much extended the post-holiday hangover uh, much longer than it normally would last. So uh, as it is, uh, for example, on our commuter buses, this past Monday, the 25th, we had the best Monday we've had since all the way back to uh, the middle of November. So um, the holidays lasted a lot longer than we, they normally do, but we're starting to see some recovery there. So we're going to cross our fingers and hope that it continues that way. That's it. That's it. All right. Thanks, uh, Steve, for the update. Um, they miss your graphs today, but <laughs> they look a lot, a lot like. <laughs> yes, for the sake of time, um, we are close to two hours here, almost. Yep. Um, thank you for the update. Um, so the next business meeting uh, for the board is uh, proposed is which we just voted on is um, is on Wednesday, March seventeenth. I'm gonna be sick. Um, <laughs> um, so, in terms of locations, how do we do that, Sarah, um, for the meetings? So, uh, we're going to put these up as electronic meetings uh, until the right. board That's right. Sorry. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. So, it will be all electronic meetings um, um, until um, we get uh, different guidance on that. And, uh, and, and Okay, so the public viewing will be here in the DDC office in uh, Leesburg, uh, 101 Seal Drive, right? Yeah, Blue Seal Drive, Suite 102. And also, there's a note here is when the uh, LCPS schools are closed uh, due to inclement weather or when 
the county government has closed. Um, the Transit Advisory Board uh, meeting is canceled. All right, um, so that's the end of it. Thanks for thanks to the staff for hanging out today, Scott, Steve, and Sarah. Appreciate it. As well as the board members. Um, so well, it was an eventful meeting. Um, it was a good discussion. Um, is there a motion to um, adjourn the meeting? So moved. All right. Thanks, Marty. Is there a second? Second. Is there a second? Second. second. All right. Thanks a lot. Um, all right. I got to take the roll call here. Um, okay, I didn't need a roll call for the close. All right, all right. Thanks, uh, thanks everybody for joining. I appreciate it. Uh, we will meet again in March. Thank you all. Thank you. And have a good evening. Stay safe. Take care. Bye. 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 Everyone. Hi for everybody. I'm using a Mac, and this Safari on a Mac doesn't work well with WebEx.